just like her. No, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. You could see right there. Whatever that was still... I mean, that would be a bad thing. Why? If it looked like her. Yeah, why would that be a bad thing? Because we don't know what that thing is, but the one thing we do know, it wants us to think it's Max. <laughs> Trying to trick us, and that in itself is a bad thing. We're gonna go for a joyride. strange highways i am paul hey guys it's terry here and i'm going to uh bring some breaking news in here real quick so uh terry doesn't know about this but this is caught me off guard it's very appropriate to the show um so we the show's called strange highways i mean if you like welcome you guys you know we've been listening for a while we're going to be getting into uh the jordan peele season two of his twilight zone uh, uh episode seven a human face here in a moment but it's not really news but just a little bit of a backstory, and this is relating to something I just saw on Facebook. Uh, this this show is called Strange Highways, which is based upon a Dean Koontz novella called Strange Strange Highways, which deals with a town in the 60s that had a mine fire under it that kind of caused problems, and the town starts kind of breaking apart. Um, Terry, do you know the town of Centralia, Pennsylvania? Yeah, I've read about this. There is a, a fire that's been going for like 20 years or something like that. Yeah, it was a mine fire that happened like over Memorial Day weekend in like the 60s. And it caused like all these problems. Like they had these vents that like they popped up like because this fire kept going. And eventually uh, the the Pennsylvania was like, you guys got to move out of there. So there's like there was like four or five people left because they couldn't force them to move. But for all intents and purposes, like it's this abandoned town of Pennsylvania that has these vents and cracks in the road in which there's a mine fire constantly going where there's like sulfur and stuff. It's like hell on earth, you know? Um, and that's the short story. Strange highways deals with a town like that. Um, but I just someone on Facebook who I know is like from somewhere like Western Pennsylvania. They just posted, anyone have any pointers on visiting Centralia? And I want to be like, yeah, don't like, I don't know what to say about that. That sounds scary as all get out to me. Yeah, I don't, it's as badass as it sounds like to maybe see from a distance. This is like the Chernobyl thing. Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, cause, um, the, the first, um, the, the, the silent Hill film that came out like what, 15 years ago now, something like that. Uh, they based the town and, and, and the silent Hill in that movie kind of on Centralia as well. So it's just, it would be a thing. It'd be an interesting, like if someone could do like, like a drone video, like a fly through to kind of show the town now, um, that'd be cool, but I don't know how comfortable I'd feel setting foot in a place like that, knowing that there's an active fire under underneath 
that could cause like, cause there were sinkholes and things opening up in a town that people weren't aware of at first, you know? So, um, that's a scary thing. And that, I mean, that's not necessarily this episode, but it's just, I thought that was very uh, interesting timing because the name of this podcast is based upon a, a novella that's roughly based upon the actual town. So I thought that was kind of cool. It's really interesting. I actually found out about this, uh, this town maybe about six months ago. And there was like some footage that was taken of the ground and that you can, it's still like smoking and everything. It's pretty badass, but you know, <laughs> it's terrifying. I, I, I kind of yeah. wish I could see it. Yeah, it's, it, it is because you don't know how volatile the situation is. I mean, if somebody's going there, they don't know what's actually going to transpire day to day. Yeah. Cause they hit another seam of coal. Like then suddenly what may have been structurally sound 10 years ago could just be waiting to fall apart. Right. So that's, that's terrifying to me, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I thought that was interesting that as we start the show named after the novella named after the town, that's now falling into the earth because it's hell, it's a hellscape. And so I wants to go visit it. So I wish my, I wish my friend well, <laughs> let's put it that way. So Yes. All right. Um, that was weirdly fitting. Uh, yeah. So anyway, this is a strange highways, a podcast about the twilight zone and not cities falling into the earth this week. There might be one next week in an episode. I don't know. That'd be really weird. Um, this, the episode again, we're covering a season two of the Jordan Peele produced twilight zone, uh, episode seven, a human face. Um, I just want to mention before we go forward. Um, I know all 10 dropped at the same time back in July, uh, what CBS All Access did for the first season after they released them week to week to week, they then released all 10 again in black and white. All 10 of these second season episodes are now available in black and white if people want to watch it that way. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, they made a lot of uh, upgrades to the CBS uh, All Access, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I, I, I do want to revisit the first season, and I kind of want to just do it in black and white to get that Might like well, original right? vibe. Yeah, why not? And like the cinematography that we we've been we've been uh, talking about um, this whole the season, I'm sure that um, it still pops really well black and white. So I've not actually went back and watched any of the the new stuff in black and white. But I guess part of it's just because I feel like since we've been you know trafficking so much in the older stuff in black and white, it's like I like seeing colors for a bit, you know. So but. I still think that's cool. They make that an available option. So that's, yeah. So all, all season two is now available on black and white as well. So if you want to watch this episode on black and white, you can do so. Um, that makes me wonder about the episode, uh, that we just covered, uh, uh, eight with that being black and white. I don't think you'd see anything for quite a while. I'm like, I think there's an octopus eye in there somewhere. And I think that's about all we'd see. Um, so yeah, uh, this episode is directed by Christina Rowe. Uh, this is not her first venture into the Twilight Zone under the the current uh, series. She directed an episode last season called Not All Men, uh, which is a, a pretty fun episode. Uh, and then she also directed a movie in, in 2018 called Nancy. And I just want to mention the synopsis because I feel like it kind of ties into this episode a little bit. Nancy becomes increasingly convinced she was kidnapped as a child when she meets a couple whose daughter went missing 30 years ago. Reasonable doubt gives way to a willful belief. So... Kind of, kind of interesting, huh? Yeah, it's, it's it sounds interesting enough. Um, the only credit that I knew her uh, her work from was uh, she did the first episode of the series, The Act. Did you end up watching that? The The Act. Yeah, it's no. uh, it's a it's a pretty famous case. I I can't remember the name of the the lady, but she um, convinced her daughter that she was sick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that has it was like that um, that limited series on Hulu, right? Or or FX, right? That um, 
Yeah, where, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I didn't see the series, but I know the story, and that's messed up. Yeah, it, it actually was a really uh, captivating uh, uh, series. Uh, pretty, pretty creepy, actually. Um, but yeah, check that out if you get a chance. But yeah, she did the first installment of that. And I, I could definitely see um, the same kind of uh, vibe working in this episode and in what she did in the act. So it, it builds uh, some atmosphere that was really creepy. Yeah, and just so. with that movie being somebody that thinks that they were separated from a family and believe they belong versus the story we're about to talk about that feels like they're like, Hey, we should have somebody like that that directs this episode. But again, not all men, people should go back and check. That was also, I believe written all by, Oh, and her name's failing me. She is the one that, uh, I want to say she wrote the episode we just dealt with, with the girls and the, um, and the boarding school, uh, the lady who's co-executive producer. So that was one of those early episodes last season that was written and directed by females. And it's a, it's a really Heather, Heather and Campbell. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saving me there. Um, yeah, not all men's fun. Like it's, it gets I me mean, fun as in like, it, it's, it's horrific. What goes on in terms of what, what like Ike Barinholtz is in it too. And he's great. Cause he's one of those guys that you always kind of view as a comedic actor and he kind of like loses his shit in the episode. So it's very terrifying, but it's just, a, it's fun in the sense of like, it is, you know, you know, it's whenever the, whenever things kind of hit the fan, you know, there's, there's fun to be had there not all men's a fun episode. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so this is her second episode directing the twilight zone. Glad to see her back. Uh, this is written by Alex Rubens. Um, uh, third of four Twilight Zone episodes for this series. So we've not gotten to the fourth one he's written in this season yet. He wrote the first episode of season one, The Comedian, which is quite good with uh, um, oh, um, Kumal Nanjiani uh, playing the comedian that uh, is trying to up his career. And he ends up uh, making some interesting sacrifices to do so. And then he wrote the last episode of the first season called Blurry Man, which is a mixed bag. So... So far, I don't know if I have a good read on Alex Rubens. He wrote the the screenplay for the film Keanu, which was a Key and Peele film. He also contributed to 54 episodes of Key and Peele, contributed to 15 episodes of Community, and then he actually wrote one of my favorite episodes of Rick and Morty called Big Trouble in Little Sanchez. So I guess I have a love, love and not so love relationship with Alex Rubens. Yeah, I, I I recognized uh, the name from doing the key, key and peel uh, like dive and all that for um, you know the fact that we have uh, Jordan Peel doing this. I've I've done a lot of research on key and peel, but uh, I didn't really recognize anything else that he had done. Uh, I see he has some producer credits, like he kind of is all over the board, and I, I'm really digging that about. Uh, this season of Twilight Zone, they're bringing guys and uh, and uh, gals on that have a lot of background in so many different, uh, you know, facets of film, like cinematography and sound. And it's it's really interesting to see them build more credits for them. Yeah. Like, again, like, I think that's one of the strengths um, of of so far of the series, even even, you know, like even last week, I know we were kind of left left wanting with that episode, but you got some interesting directing talent in there. Right. So yeah, that's exciting. Um, so yeah, anyway, let's get into the cast here for, uh, Terry, I know it's a lot of people, but if you could just walk us through this uh, immense cast, that'd be great. Yeah. So, uh, uh, the first of our large cast is, uh, Christopher Maloney. Never I heard love of him. This dude. Never. <laughs> love this dude. Dude. I have like, a man crush on this dude. He is a terrific actor. I can't wait to like 
get into more stuff that he does outside of SVU because I, I'm still revisiting all the old episodes of SVU and I cannot get enough of them. 273 episodes of SVU and he's coming back for a new installment of uh, Law and Order. Yeah, he so, was one of the few uh, characters like as a TV character that was in three different series. So he was in uh, SVU. Uh, there was trial by jury, which didn't, that, that was a law and order trial by jury. It lasted like a season or so. And then now this new one, right? Cause detective Stabler is um, kind of iconic. Um, it will, it will be interesting to see um, how they approach. Cause his character can um, sometimes uh, bend the rules to get results. So we'll see how his character is going to behave now. And um, now that people are more aware of uh, what law enforcement should and shouldn't do. I think Stabler's going to be an interesting character to examine, you know, like, and I think Maloney would be up to that like task. I love Christopher Maloney. I, I, you're right. Law and order. Um, that's one of the shows for, I know there's like, you know what, how many, there's like 307 seasons, I think of law and order, something like that. Um, <laughs> I think it, it's like up to 30 now or oh something, my, it's, something like that. It's like, it's like be, be like gun smoke for like dramatic TV or something, right? Something ridiculous like that. Um, that's one of those shows that I could just put on and just lose like probably a year of my life to and not think twice about. It. I love Law and Order. It's amazing. And honestly, I used to watch the uh, the older uh, first installment, the just the standard Law and Order with my grandpa, my grandparents and that. So I've I've had a deep affection for the whole series and all its iterations. And I can't wait to see him do the next one, which is going to be uh, what is it? Oh, I forget the name of it. Spe- yeah, special stabler back. unit. No, Organized crime. Organized stabler unit. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so here, here's a little bit of like knowledge about the original law and order. It has nothing to do with this episode and nothing to do with Centralia, Pennsylvania. Jerry Orbach, you remembered him. I forget the character's name on the show, but he was like an all of like a law and order. He was one of the older detectives. You remember Jerry Orbach? Um, uh, did he, he, did he play months? Uh, he wasn't months. Let me look at like that was, um, Oh, I know that guy's name. Uh, right. I want to look up, uh, his character, um, and law and order real quick. Uh, his character was, um, shoot. I just wanted to mention this. He was Lenny Briscoe on law and order. He was like one of the like older detectives you'd recognize if you saw him. He's like this, like, you know, older New York detective, great character actor, loved him. I did not realize he was the voice of uh, Lumineer, Lumineer, whatever his name is, and uh, Beauty and the Beast. I did not realize this was the same guy. It blew my mind when I learned it. It's like, wait, this is the guy that was the candle guy in Beauty and the Beast, but he's like this, like, you know, just, you know, grizzled detective in Law and Order. Okay, I'm down with that. He's wonderful. I, I He was the father in... Um and uh, Dirty Dancing yeah, as well. Right? Yeah, I, I man, boy, is Jerry Rohrbach in a Twilight Zone somewhere? I hope so. Like, I would be great if he's in the 80s Twilight Zone. That'd be amazing. Uh, but anyway, that's not, um, that is not uh, who we're talking about, Christopher Maloney. Uh, I love Christopher Maloney. Uh, I I just found out he voices Commissioner Gordon in the ongoing Harley Quinn animated series. It's like the R-rated one that's now on um, HBO Max. Um, I watched the first episode of that, that, that series, and Commissioner Gordon's like this just like, just washed up drunk. That's kind of shell shocked because of all the heroes and things and villains that I love that. Um, Maloney's that voice. Uh, he was recently an episode in an episode of Rick and Morty where he played Jesus Christ. That was pretty fun. And my favorite role of his though, is Gene, the cook in what hot American summer 
because people may not realize how funny Christopher Maloney is, but he is really goddamn funny. Yeah, he really is a multifaceted guy, but it's like I, I, you, you see the serious parts of his, uh, you know, his catalog, and you're like, this guy, he's got to be unhinged like all the time because he was, a, he yeah. was in uh, 38 episodes of Oz as well, and I heard that he is downright scary in that show, and I, I have to visit Oz because I've put it off for I don't know. 20 years <laughs> so maybe i could finally watch it um but and then you know he did 18 episodes of happy which i heard that's amazing yeah i've heard it's good too um my co-host steve on evasion the podcast like loved that show and then it got canceled so he blames me because i didn't watch it not because i didn't want to i just didn't get to it but i've heard he's great in it yeah and uh, uh he was also in 12 monkeys and here is the funnest fact and i had no idea he voiced uh, one of the characters, Spike, in uh, 11 episodes of Dinosaurs. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of his, it's one of his furthest uh, back um, you know, roles that he did. But I was like, dude, I love dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> so I was like, that's amazing that I could get a dinosaurs connection out of him. <laughs> I need to see, I need to see a, like an action gritty, like buddy cop movie with, Chris Maloney and Mark strong as like brothers that are pissed off at each other. Cause I feel like they're, they're fairly close in look to each other and they've both played badasses. Um, you'd recognize Mark strong. If you Google him real quick, uh, it's like, I need these guys together in a film. I need them so bad. I lo- but Maloney, he, he, when he dials up the intensity, like he can, um, he can scare the pain off a of barn, like just by staring at things like it is like, but then, but then you watch him in what hot American summer and just, like his character of Gene the Cook, I just it's what's it's one of my favorite things in the world. So I like I, I almost kind of put him in the same boat as like John Hamm, where it's like they have like two sets of gears where one is like that intensity of like get out of his view because he's about to destroy you. Or like I just want to give this guy a high five and hang out with him all day. Like that's what I feel about him. Oh, he's, he's awesome. And I, I would love to meet him. I like, again, you know, I love SVU. I'd like to meet the whole cast, honestly, but, uh, he's just, I think he's a terrific actor actor. And I would love to see him in more like major roles instead of just TV work in that. Cause I think he just, he has a look and he has like charisma to him. And like you said, he's just a bad dude. <laughs> like I, I, I actually, even in one scene of this episode, I'm like, Oh no. Oh no, we're going to get stabler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's he doing with that broomstick? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that's uh, Christian Maloney. I'm glad that we got to talk about him. I, I understand that with the, like, this new twilight zone, it's kind of a, a prestige series where you get some known people in there, but much like, uh, like Jack Klugman in the original series, I think it'd be great if like he came back like next season or if like, like, cause I, I would love to see him again in another, like some, some more anthology work as well. I, but I guess what it gets down to is give me more Maloney. For sure. I, I'm uh, in that same boat. So, but I'm uh, moving on because it can't be the Maloney hour. Um, uh, we got Jenna Elfman. Um, she plays Barbara, uh, the wife, obviously. Um, <laughs> most people would know her <laughs> because it's one of three characters in this entire episode. Um, 
See, uh, most people would know her from uh, Dharma and Greg, 119 episodes, and then I believe it came back for another season. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, I maybe. Heard I, some, at least a buzz about it. It was coming back. Yeah, that was an ABC sitcom. I liked it to begin with. I I had a crush on Janelle Elfman at that time. Like, I mean, still now. Like, let's let's not mince words. But I will admit, though, it took me a second to realize it was her. I don't know. Like, it's just I don't know. Like, if you don't see somebody for quite a while. It just like when I was like, oh crap, that's Jen Elfman. I I feel like she's one of those um those actors because she also has a good she has good comedic timing as well. Um, that you know it's a bummer that she didn't get into more things, but then she has been in a lot of stuff. Like she was in, I didn't realize that she had a large role in Fear of the Walking Dead, which seems to be a running theme through uh, us watching this season of the Twilight Zone. So she's still working. It's just I just was not watching the things she was part of. Yeah, I, it, she really has done a lot of different series and uh, quite a bit of episodes of said series, like 31 episodes of Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, that's awesome. I, I'm not I, I kind of fell off that that train for Walking Dead a while ago, but that's great that she's doing something that's so gritty and um, different kind of shows a Yeah, different. It's, it shows a different facet to her uh, her acting abilities, because on Dharma and Greg, she was so bubbly and so goofy and that's kind of I, I didn't recognize it was her either because I didn't think she was getting given a lot of room to be the actress that I've seen her be in other things like Dharma and Greg. So I mean, she, like even in interviews and stuff like that, she's so witty and so uh, bubbly. It's like I didn't get that, so I was kind of bummed. So like her and like Tia Leone almost had the same career for a second. Right. Like and then they kind of, they kind of split off. It's like, and, but then, you know, that, I mean, me saying Tia Leone to you is probably like, I haven't heard that name in 20 years. That's probably a reason for that. Um, but yeah. So here, here's the thing, Terry, you're going to be so happy to know this. You're going to be so goddamn happy to know this. She was a voice in a film called the tangerine bear home in time for Christmas. The streak is alive. Woo. Damn it. <laughs> you thought you thought you were gonna get away with having only three people in an episode and there'd be no Christmas like tie-ins. You were wrong. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you proved me wrong. I I don't know. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do it somehow. I actually think our next I, I think our next actress has uh, a role in a Christmas movie, but oh uh but yeah. we'll save that for a second. So one of the one of the most interesting things I found out about uh, Miss Elfman was that uh, she is a professional dancer as well. She uh, yeah. she actually started her career as a professional dancer, and she appeared she had appeared in music videos for Depeche Mode and Anthrax. Hmm. So that's that, that's a that's a weird connection because didn't didn't Anthrax show up in an episode of Married with Children? So it's tie like to get like really weird like so. Um, not yeah, that, and no. actually, um, Scott, uh, Scott Ian appeared in at least one episode of Walking Dead as a zombie. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, no, I, and I and I remember also she was like um, she was almost nominated for a Razzie for what was it, Looney Tunes back in action with her and um, Brendan Fraser, but I guess she didn't get the nomination, so it's probably one of those situations of like, you know, oh good, I didn't get nominated for a Razzie for a movie in which it has cartoons in it. Yeah. I don't think anybody's would be excited about getting a, a Razzie nod. <laughs> I mean, if so, I got nominated for a Razzie, I think I'd high five everybody. And I'd be like, what did I just do? I don't even know what movie I was in, but that'd be amazing. 
Yeah, I'd like the chance to get into something that could be nominated, but I don't want to get nominated. So, fair Count enough. my blessings, I guess. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I love Jenna Elfman. It's just, it's one of those things like, you know, I just, I'm not as familiar with like her later work as probably I should have been because I know that there was a, uh, that series imaginary Mary that was on ABC for a half second that people like it got like decent critical review, but didn't go anywhere. It feels like she has an eye for projects. It's just that with there's so much content out there right now that you, it, it really has to catch big in a hurry for it to get renewed. So, but I'm glad that she was in this. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, it was uh, nice to see a different side of her as an actress. So it was cool. But uh, so next we uh, now this one this name man I, I'm I'm gonna butcher it and I'm sorry to this actress Tavi Genevin Gen uh, Gen I think Gen, I, can't, I can't do it Jevinson or Jevinson All right. I don't know I don't know Tavi that we can agree on Tavi Yeah there we go So uh, she plays Maggie the daughter of uh, Robert and Barbara in this episode Um. The things I I knew from what she had worked on. So she was an episode of Scream Queens, which I heard that was pretty good. Uh, came back for multiple seasons, and then uh, she's in the new iteration of uh, uh, Gossip Girl is going to be. So yeah, that's what I got for her. Um, also, I think she's a clone of Scarlett Johansson, but I don't have science to prove it. <laughs> okay, well we'll go with that. <laughs> I mean, do you like? Am I wrong? Like, she looks like a younger Scarlett Johansson, like. I just, my gosh, like, I just, I feel like if they're, if, if, if we're going to do like a, another film of Gemini man where Will Smith fights his younger self, this is Scarlett Johansson fighting her and you wouldn't need CGI. So like if they did, uh, like ghost world, uh, part two and like the, the next day and it, <laughs> she could be casted. Go, yeah, yeah. Ghost world. The, uh, the next day, Steve Buscemi would still look the same age. It's fine. Uh, I think he kind of does. I actually, to be honest. I mean, and I don't think Christina Ricci looks that much older either. So I'm sure you could probably sneak her in, but yeah, like no, uh, she looks a lot like she looks a lot like Scarlett Johansson. And that's not, that's not a negative. And, and also some of her uh, line delivery at the end doesn't feel that far away from her either. No. I, yeah. I, I think uh, I, I'm getting what you're saying here. I, I, I can see the parallels. Um, she does have a very similar look to her. Um, I, I think they casted her perfectly for this because I, I hate to say it, but she has a very unique look to her. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's it's a very unique look to her. And I think that's kind of what they were going for, for of course. this kind of character. So we'll elaborate when we do the discussion. But yeah, so. I didn't know her from anything else and, uh, you know, yeah, up and coming like, yeah. like all, a lot of the younger people we've seen on the show. So, all right. Yeah. Um, now that we've, uh, talked a lot about three people and then I mentioned like seven other people, uh, let's just get to, to Mr. Peel. When they come, what form will they choose? And if they present us with the right one, will we let them in, welcome them with open arms? Robert and Barbara are about to find out that it may not even matter what's inside as long as it arrives in the right package. Open the doors. We've just received a delivery from the Twilight Zone. I just, you know, if the Twilight Zone's giving you something, you don't sign for it. I think that's what we've learned in this episode. Yeah, that that's a good call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially in this scenario, I wouldn't want this package either. So. No. 
Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, another one of these ones that actually runs pretty, pretty tight in terms of runtime, but I think there's more going on with this one than the last one we talked about. So please, uh, Terry, lead us into a human face. Okay. So we are in outer space and we keep on panning in or like, uh, zooming in rather, and until we finally get to earth, I think that's kind of like telling for what it's going to transpire in this episode, but we get to, uh, Robert and, uh, Barbara's home. Um, they are selling the home. You can see the for sale sign out in front. Um, but then we also hear like a radio message, um, like a talk show, uh, whatever. And they're talking about how there's going to be a solar flare that's going to be happening that day. Uh, and then, you know, like, Oh, get excited. You might be checking this out from that instant. I already felt dread as soon as they said that. Cause have you ever seen night of the comet? Yes. At that's I was like, Oh shit. I was like solar flare, whatever you want to call it. Something's going to get weird here. And we got that. So. I, like, I like that you will know the comet versus like maximum overdrive. Like I was like, Oh, come on. I need to see a green goblin truck take on Christopher Maloney, but that didn't happen. Well, yeah, that's a good call too. Or, I, I or love a soda it, machine. As much as it's a bad movie, <laughs> yeah. or a soda machine just launching cans of soda at Jed Elfman. I mean, yeah, we could, that could be that could be a sequel. That could be a reboot. I would be all about that. Yeah. So, um, so we see Barbara. She's she's looking for Robert, and she ends up finding him upstairs in uh, what appears to be uh, a teenage uh, girl's room, and she he's dismantling the bed and. She said, well, don't worry about that. The movies will take care of that. And of course, he's like, no, nah, I got it. They, they work by the hour. We'll take care of it. And um, she starts to pan around the room. And uh, we can already tell that there, there was a loss. Um, they lost their daughter at some point. They didn't really establish this yet. But uh, the way that she's looking at things so fondly in that, and she goes through a tote uh, of all of her daughter's belongings and that and you, you know, something bad had happened. Well, and it's also uh, important to establish that Robert, like whenever she, whenever Barbara walks through him, she's like, I can't use the phone. He's like, yeah, I know the internet's turned off. She's like, but the phone, he's like, yeah, it's the internet. He's like, like, just like, you know, just listen to me. I'm right. I'm telling you what's wrong. And then as, as Barbara's walking around the room, she looks, uh, looks at a photo of their daughter and she goes like, Oh, she was just so scattered. He's like, no, she wasn't. And it's like, I hate that. I hear myself in him. <laughs> We're like, every time somebody says something, I'm like, you're wrong, you know? So I'll take part of this bed myself. Screw you. I'll save the $7. But you get, you get their dynamic pretty early on of her stating things and him telling her that her, that she's not thinking correctly. And it's a through line through the episode. And I think it's, it's established pretty early. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that um, the dynamic between them uh, is kind of, I, I disjointed now, like they don't seem like the happy couple that they were. At least that's what I'm, uh, I figured out at least in a small moment. Of course. Yeah. Of their conversation. Yeah. But so, yeah. So, um, throughout the, the little conversation that they're having, all of a sudden they see this weird light, um, just kind of come through real quick and then it's gone. And, um, so they're obviously like, uh, surprised by it but then all of a sudden they hear a noise in some other portion of the house 
So they go to investigate it and they go all the way down to what I, I, I believe is the basement, but there's a lot of windows here. So <laughs> I haven't seen a basement with that many windows and like a kitchen too. I think there's a kitchen down there. Yeah. It was uh, just like, but I saw like the wood paneling. I was like, nothing good ever happens in a wood paneled basement. You know, I'm just going to throw that out there. Like that, like, like that seventies wood paneling, like nothing good ever happens in a basement like that. So they, they go down there to, investigate what this noise was and they walk in on some kind of weird creature it's kind of amorphous uh it's no taller than like maybe four feet and it's eating one of their tables (laughs) yeah it's a water bear do you know what do you know what water bears are or no they're microscopic yeah they're actually called tardigards um and here's some science for you guys look at this we're gonna be smart here known colloquially as water bears or moss piglets which i didn't know that um they're like really really tiny and um they're one of these things that's like they're like they're they're damn near immortal like they can survive in like the vacuum of space and things but they're like super super tiny and i thought it was an interesting choice for this to look like a, a tardigard because one, those are creepy looking, and two, um, CBS All Access has the the TV show Star Trek Discovery. Um, and the first season, they find basically the same sized like being that looks like a tardigard uh, out in space, and they're able to utilize it to bounce all over the known universe because it's connected to like this interstellar highway, and it's like it's it's Star Trek, so you got to do some hand waving, but. They use the space water bear to be able to teleport all over the known universe. And it's like, oh, good. One of them visited and started eating wood in these people's basements. I don't know if that's a weird cross-promotional thing to be like, hey, guys, watch Star Trek. That feels weird. That kind of does sound like it's like some connective tissue with that. I, yeah. I wish that they they would have elaborated more on it. Did it? Did you happen to see images of what it looks like or see that episode? Oh, no. I watched, I've watched the two seasons of uh, Discovery so far. So, um yeah, I mean it's more it's it's solid, but there's um uh, and spoilers a little bit for Star Trek Discovery, and this isn't this isn't that podcast, but um they use something called a um oh what was it called a spore drive where they found like using these fungal spores they're able to like teleport this this ship specifically the Discovery like at will. And they use this thing called like it's like this um, interdimensional highway that like this this certain fungus whatever you want to call it like it's a separate it's like a separate reality, and they happen to find this tardigard in there that kind of already has like in its genetic DNA like it has the the universe kind of mapped to it, so they're able to use it as a navigation system to pop wherever they want, and based upon what we hear later, it's like. I, did did um, did the the writer of this just watch Star Trek Discovery and be like, "That's a thing we could use as a monster"? It just feels weird to me. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Water well, bears I'm, are weird. I'm glad I'm that, just throwing that out there. Yeah, They're weird. Well, I'm glad that they chose something that really didn't look like anything else. Like it's yeah. not humanoid. I, I just I I love when uh, science fiction gets really strange and goes off the grid for what typically is done for imagery in it. So I, I actually love this thing. Um, and I like that it was like kind of, uh, translucent and also had, it, it almost looked like it was electronic as well. It was really interesting looking, but yeah, but the fact that it's designs based upon an actual living thing, 
makes it way creepier too. It's just, it just happens to be a larger version, right? So yeah, it's like, it's, it's the good sci-fi where it's like, it's a thing that we know. It'd be like, what if a bed bug was the size of like you, you would just lose your goddamn mind. And I've, I think I've used the word goddamn four times so far this episode, not the last time, but just keep count. But yeah, it's creepy looking. Yeah. So I love it. And, um, but as they see this thing, obviously they're mortified, but in the same instant that they're looking at its face, looking back at them, they kind of see this weird image of what appears to be a, a young girl's face. And it, it, it growls or something at them. <laughs> and they, they hightail it out of there and they go hide in a, in a closet. Yeah. So the so, first time they see this thing eating the workbench, um, like, uh, it's like, uh, um, Robert's like, let's just get out of here. And they hightail it, which is the right choice. But then before we even get into the humanoid aspect of it, um, we already have Barbara referring to it as a she. He's like, did you see her eyes? So I was I was really curious if we were going to get this entire episode of her seeing her, their daughter and um, Robert never seeing anything. Like, I really thought that's where they're going to go with it. But they hightail it to the bathroom and they're like up in their bedroom upstairs. Um, As the camera whips over to the right as they run through the bedroom and they go hide in the bathroom, that's when the camera slowly pans over and Jordan Peele's just sitting there on the bed and he gives his introduction, which is amazing. I looked again on the replay hoping to see if maybe like he was like in the corner and slowly just came over and sat down. I'm sure it was like a cut edit, but I love that he's like, I'm just going to sit here and talk to you guys with all those moving boxes. This is my intro. It's amazing. Yeah, I like that it's like in these intimate settings too. Like this is their bed that they sleep <laughs> on, and he's just like popping a squat right on it. Yeah. Like, hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna blow your mind, right? So, um, so then uh, they had eventually um, they go back down. Uh, was it they? I think either did they go up the attic at that point, or, or they go downstairs and they look at her. They look at it again, right? And that's when the thing morphs. And starts to kind of look like a like something they know. It looks like their daughter, but it's still translucent, right? And then as they're looking at her, they go to approach her and it lashes out and then they hightail it up to the attic. And I think that's what happens, right? I think that's the the order. I could be wrong. Well well they, they end up seeing it again and it slowly comes out from hiding, and that's when it starts to transform uh into a a, a girl. Like it it, it it takes this weird uh, like transformation stage where it's jolting from all different directions. It's kind of starting to look like humanoid and then it doesn't. And then all of a sudden it, it is a girl now. Yeah. So I take and, it back the first time they run and hide, it's towards the attic or someplace like our walk-in bedroom. The second time is the bathroom. The reason I want to mention like the other space they're in at first is because did you notice the window uh, of that weird, like walking closet they were in? Did you notice the shape of it? Yeah. It almost looked like a Celtic knot or something. Yeah. Right? Did you recognize that symbol? I'm just going to, I'm going to quiz you and the people at home listening right now. I did not. So it's the same symbol that was used in the circular um, window in the boarding school from, we just watched of the, um, what was it? Um, oh, I'm going to mess up the name of that episode, the boarding school episode, like amongst the untrodden. It's the yeah, same it- pattern. No kidding. I, I think well, it's kind of cool. A plus for noticing something <laughs> like that. Oh, and there's there, there's three other older Twilight Zone references I'll get to at the end. But I saw that I'm like, that's the same. That's the same thing. That's kind of cool that they threw that out there. But they have this talk about like 
you know, like it's her and he's like, no, it's not. And then when they go in the basement to go explore, he takes that broomstick and he's like, like trying to make like aggressive noises. And, and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, Shh. and he's like yelling with this broomstick when they go down and look at her. It's like, I know he's being very intense, but I still, I still laughed with Christopher Maloney yelling while holding a broomstick. Uh, but yeah, when the thing starts taking the image of the daughter and he starts seeing it, that's when like both the worlds kind of start falling apart. And that's, and I almost wish that this type of part of the episode would have lasted longer than we got it. Yeah, it, this is definitely one of those ones. I wish the uh, the runtime would have serviced the story a little bit more because yeah. I think that there there was a lot more here that we could have like dived into and like what the ultimate plan was and I, we're going to get more into it, but yeah, I, I wish we could have had a longer episode on this, but you know, we got a meaty story for what it was. That's fair. So, but like when they go to the bathroom after they run away from this thing, cause it looks like their daughter and it, um, it, it, it teleports upstairs. They tear They run to the bathroom. They, they go. And again, the right, that's the right response. Uh, they have all these talk, uh, talk about what's going on. I like that. Um, Barbara like stuffs, uh, towels under the door <laughs> he was like what are you doing he's like well i don't know she can't come in it's like you know whatever you gotta do to feel better i don't blame her for that response but then they kind of he starts talking to her robert starts talking to her about like what this could be and he uses a lot of different metaphors but the one i think is interesting he comes back to twice is the angler fish about being yeah. this, this this um fish with like you know a light source on the front that looks like like you know a tasty like worm or something and that you get close to it gets eaten. But I like the second time that he brings it up, she's like, yeah, yeah, I know angler fish. I know. Like, <laughs> but he's there. there yeah. Sorry. There, there dynamics was a small. Good. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, there, there was a small uh, uh, thing that happened though, that when, once they ran up the steps from the basement, um, they, the, the girl, she actually appears from the floor. She comes yeah. right through the floor too. Yeah. So you, you know that now this thing has a hell of a lot more power than they they can really like understand. Yeah, and so then as they're having this discussion, I think my favorite part of this episode because it is the most unnerving and it would be the thing I would have a nightmare about over and over again is you have this husband and wife in this bathroom that they both have seen this water bear chewing on some wood downstairs that can now teleport that's starting to look like their daughter that they've lost but they hear her, they hear their daughter's voice or their former daughter's voice. And she sounds like a, a, um, a record that's skipping or whatever you want to call it. It is uh, whatever I'm going to say about the end of this episode. Um, that whatever that, that two minutes of when this sequence is happening is one of the most terrifying things I think I've seen in this TV show. And from a, a it's two in the morning, you're trying to fall asleep and you can't stop thinking about it. It is strange because, you know, it, it's trying to form uh, an understanding of of human uh, language. That's what you can. That's what I assess from it. It's like it doesn't quite know how to communicate yet, but it knows that it's going to try to get to them. It's going to try to get to them emotionally. So it's just saying weird phrases like, hey, can I go over to certain person's house or I feel scared and it keeps on repeating certain statements too. It actually kind of reminded me of like a movie like return of the living dead. When, um, the boyfriend Freddie is trying to get up to his girlfriend 
and he's saying just certain things to try to gain her trust back. And it doesn't work, of course, because she knows that he's a brain-eating zombie. So yeah, like, but there's even the bit, too, she's like, I want pizza, or can I go hang out with so-and-so? But then it kind of catches these loops of, like, um, I don't know what's going on. It's a flare. It's a flare. It's like, that is, that's nightmare talk to me, right? Like, yeah. it's like, it is the world's scariest parrot outside that wants to eat you. And it is, um, that to me is when you get in those loops of, like, um, you know, like it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, it's like, um, it's like a predator that's masking itself and making it seem apparent. It's like, um, you know, I'm, I know there's, there's animals out there that can mimic different things. That's what this sound like to me. And you see Barbara losing her, um, losing her grip. Cause she's already, even from the, the jump of this episode, you can tell that she, obviously she misses her daughter. That's not a judgment against her, but she's so ready to give in no matter what's going on. She's so ready to give in because even, even the hint of her daughter being back is enough for her. And it is like, it's the pet cemetery thing, right? Like even if it's bad, it's still my kid. Like, and, and Robert the entire time's like, let's be smart about this. That's a blob monster out there. That sounds like her kid, but it's not. And she's like, yeah, but you don't know her. He's like, I do. It's a monster. Like, <laughs> and it's a, and I almost kind of hoped um, for this episode being 38 minutes long, which is a pretty short like runtime compared to a lot of stuff we watch nowadays. Um, had this been the original series, I think, um, you know, you couldn't show the image of the water bear in the basement or whatever. It would have been people's reactions or whatever. Right. I think the bulk of the episode would have been the couple talking about the pros and cons of opening the door. And the episode would have ended with the wife opening the door. And that would have been the end of your episode. Um, I almost still kind of wonder if that would have not serviced the story better. Yeah, that, that would have been interesting enough, but not, it would have been kind of anticlimactic at its same point too. That's me. That's um, fair. But I feel, I think there have been a lot more questions than answers, but it still would have been unnerving to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. Um, I do have to address the elephant in the room though. This is the trope for most horror films. The water bear Why in the room. <laughs> why in the hell did they run all the way upstairs when they could have just ran out of the house I, yep. <laughs> I, you're right you're i right. don't know um but then I, I, yeah we get but we get barbara pretty early which i mean come on you are you're a big romero fan do you think the name barbara is like i think it's pretty intentional i think the name barbara here just stands out like a sore thumb of like you know they're coming to get you and she wants to open the door and be God. I think that's where I get the, the I, I, that's the, that's the shades I get of her character. Um, yeah. The grief stricken uh, family member who has experienced loss. Yeah. And it's kind of like uh, it's affected their life to the core. Like I, I, I can see that, that yeah. parallel, but then, so, so then you also get Robert saying like uh, it's a siren. And I'm like, that's probably the better way to call this thing as opposed to a uh, angler fish. Right. But that also feels very Stephen King to me of like giving, like trying to identify this as like, like a creature so you can have better context. But I think a siren, the siren song of just open the door. It's your daughter. It's like, it sounds like her it's in pain. And then, but I'll also say here that when Barbara goes to open the door, Robert doesn't actually stop her. He has the power to rush over and close that door, but he doesn't. And I think that says a lot on the second watch through. 
Yeah, and I think it, it shows that he's he's trying to be as vocal about it because he's also trying to convince himself, I think. I think there's a lot of guilt there that we get to at the end, but I also think that he's also still, I mean, I hate to say it, I still kind of sat with Robert for a lot of this. Well, yeah, I, I, I think uh, Robert was in the right here the entire time, so... But, you know, I'm also the guy who's watched too many horror films and uh, I don't open the door for the blob monster that can morph into other things. So, <laughs> But I also say this and here I just immediately from laughing, um, not to get too, too sad and, and dour. Um, uh, I my father passed a few months ago and we didn't have the best relationships, but I've been having a lot of dreams where I see him. So I, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but. You, you know, there's something subconsciously that I'm working through, you know, and it's like, I, that's, that's a different relationship than a daughter that you, you, you find out that, you know, left the world early for other reasons. And we'll get to in a little bit, but it's like, if that's like one, one hundredth of what this character is going through, I also understand where Barbara's coming from, but I still side with Robert a hell of a lot, you know? So it's, it's, it's a weird situation to kind of be the observer in this of being like, Oh shit. I kind of see where they're coming from, but keep that door closed. Yeah, and, and, and you make a valid point there. We are observing two other people that are grief-stricken from a loss. Like what the emotions that they've had to go through, we we don't get to see that in this episode. So, I mean, they've probably been affected by this to the point where it's haunted their dreams it's that's why they're selling the house is because they can't they can't deal with the grief anymore like that these are all things that really don't get told to you as the observer of this but in the actions that you see throughout the rest of this episode you know that it isn't just well whatever why not you know it's there's a reason for their decisions yeah so so yeah go ahead please so uh so Barbara finally opens up the door and uh the Maggie monster is out there. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I mean that's that's you're you're not incorrect with that statement, but it's like it's just a it's it's you know it's Scarlett Johansson Jr. just standing there, you know, with her sweater waiting to be cast in a Wes Anderson film, you know, and feeling sad. Um yeah. But she's a mon- she's an alien <laughs> monster. We know that. So, um, and so the next scene that we see after the commercial break is that they, they go down to the kitchen area and, uh, the, the creature is sitting at the table and, uh, you can, you see Barbara like sifting through, uh, the cabinets. Robert's like, what the hell are you doing? She's like, I'm looking for cookies. He's like, you're going to give it cookies. <laughs> It would have been funnier to me if she'd been like, I can't find cookies. And then she just looks around and just like takes off part of the cabinet door to hand it to her and be like, well, you like wood, right? Like they never revisit her just eating a workbench. They never revisit that happening. I thought it'd been great to be like, I don't like cookies. I like sawdust. Like <laughs> they, we never see her eating um, like, you know, cor- like, um, you know, foam core board ever again or whatever, or, you know. That would have been, I would have liked to see her eat wood one more time just because it had been funny to me. Yeah. It puts it on like a plate and then like <laughs> throws the cookies off the plate and just eats the plate instead. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> well, 
But uh, so, yeah, you know, oh, are these uh, archway? Broccoli. Are these archway cookies? Well, that's the same thing as wood. I'll just eat it. It's fine. I don't care. Whatever. Raisins? Yeah. Sure. Oatmeal raisin? It's the same thing as wood. I'm fine. I'll eat it. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, not good. But uh, but yeah, so, you know, we see Barbara trying to kind of deal with the situation in her best way. And Robert's still trying to convince her, like, why are you even trying to give this thing the time of day? It's a creature. It's not our daughter. Why do you why are you like so compelled to uh, like help this thing out? And. Uh, <laughs> so as they, they she turns around to check back in to see where Maggie is, Maggie has disappeared. And um, Robert thinks maybe it went back down to the basement. So he goes down there. But what we actually see is that um, the the Maggie monster has ended up back into the uh, the room, the the room of their actual daughter. Yeah, that seems weird to me that like that's not the first place they would check. Like she disappeared. It's it's like so Barbara is like it, it's her. She's hurting. I don't know what it is. And then so she doesn't know where her daughter is. Uh, and then Robert goes back to the basement, um, which I mean, I guess it's like she needs to eat the rest of the workbench, you know, but um, I feel like it's weird that their that their default setting wouldn't be her room because that is, you know, that's Maggie's room. That feels weird to me that they purposely didn't go there. Yeah, I, it is kind of surprising. But at the same point, I guess I could I could see why if it's not actually their daughter that Robert would assume that maybe it went back to where it came from, which was the basement. Maybe there's some other tools or something that it wanted to go get, or it was meeting up with another creature that's in the basement. Like he's thinking about this as an analytically as possible. Like this is a creature. It's not my daughter. So it doesn't know that room either. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah. So he, he's looking around in the basement, but we see that the, the creature is, uh, going through the belongings of Maggie and, uh, you know, reading notes that she had written, looking at pictures that she had in the room. And one of the most interesting things it does is it takes a cassette and it holds it up to its ear and it appears to be listening to the cassette somehow. Yeah. The second uh, time through it, it, it felt like um, absorption to me as opposed to just a weird quirk. So yeah, I, I you know, She's she's amassing her and it's not as entirely clear the first time through, um, but it does feel more appropriate the second time through. Right. And then uh, while this is all transpiring, we see Robert uh, go back to where uh, it was chewing on the workbench and finds this weird goo that's dripping down from where it was eating. And he 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 cups it in his hand and tries to look at it a little bit closer and it lights up and then shoots out of his hand and up the steps. So I think that that makes, makes it more apparent that whatever this thing is, it's not just one, it's not one cell. It's not one being it's whatever it's leaving around is still part of it as well. Well, and, and, and yeah, and I, I will agree with you. That I feel like once we see the goo go flying uh, and off in a different direction, um, we, I, I understand that we're supposed to be smart and like intelligent viewers of things, but that dot still isn't like the dots aren't like connected in terms of, did that go to her? 
Like it's there's not even a moment of like a brief flash or like you know a sound effect or whatever. The 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 goose is gone, which I mean, you can extrapolate that it, it touched him and got something from him, which you know could be used later, but it's not shown that it's actually taken into it. You know, then that's a little frustrating to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to see what the hell was going to happen with that, like like little bit of goo and where it ended up going. But um, so fast forwarding just a tad, Robert leaves the basement area and goes to find Barbara. And uh, they're in the living room area. And he's trying to, you know, tell her again, we got to get away from this thing. It's not our daughter, you know, trying to really make her understand that much more. But now he's being a, a little bit more assertive, and um, they talk about how, like, things never changed. Uh, they they never like cared enough, and that like she's tapping into emotions about the loss of her daughter now. Mm-hmm. And then we come to find out that um, their their daughter had overdosed on pills. That they had lost her prior to that, though. Like they just she just kind of lost her way, and they both feel a somewhat of fault on not being close enough to her. But I think that Robert's in this, uh, a, kind of a stage of denial though, but he, by making up for his emotions, he's just using anger now. And, um, we see the, the, the creature come in and says to, to Robert, Hey, do not talk to her that way. Yeah. Well, also it's important to note too, that whenever, um, uh, Barbara's looking at like, like the worst family portrait ever uh, of the three of them outside the house where it's them with their daughter. And she has this like straight ahead look of like, I don't want to be here. It's like, and then and Barbara's like, look, it's in front of us the entire time. I'm like, you, you, you bought this. You didn't approve the print ahead of time. Like whatever. Um, it's very telling because it pays off later, but it's also one of those things. It's like, that's kind of heavy handed. Um, but then when Robert and Barbara start arguing, um, and he's just like, you know, you smothered her, you were around the entire time. And he was like, and you weren't, and he's like, you know, I told you that, you know, that I know what I want to do is have another kid. She's like, you want to replace her. And then that's when Maggie comes in and was like, I don't like you talking to her like this. And then what she proceeds to do then, um, and I appreciate this segment. Um, I feel like some of the dialogue becomes too much later. Uh, how she just kind of eviscerates the both of them in front of each other and, and and basically states the reality of who they are to one another. And they're both just kind of speechless when she's done talking. Yeah. But the one, uh, the one statement that she says to Robert is that you're not a father. You're just a guy who had a kid. And it's like, damn man, like where did the way to tear a dude down about his, like maybe his faults as a father figure and like you, I mean, he still recognizes the fact that this isn't his daughter, but it's the image of his daughter telling him that. And it's like, man, that's, that's, that's rough. You know? Yeah. Like he's like, yeah, that's a, that, that is what a father is. It's like, yeah, you know what? You're, you're yelling, but you need to like stop talking right now. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like she just kind of like, and then she ends up using it's it's this tell where she says to Barbara, she's like, I don't even know how I feel. Like, what would you, what would you describe me as scattered? And she's like, I don't know how to feel. And it's like, 
that it's one of those two layer things of like you're learning about like the the you know Maggie and the water bear like trying to like figure out where they're at and but at the same time she's throwing it at Barbara's face of like you never knew me so now you need now I'm asking you to tell me what I think because you did this the entire time and you can tell Barbara shook by that yeah it's a it's if if they weren't feeling soul crushed by you know seeing the the image of their dead daughter the all of these things coming out is it's got to be like it's got to be terrible mm-hmm. as an experience i mean like basically coming coming out that well you wanted something different out of me you should have been there to try to get those things out of me it's like damn man like there's some heavy-handed like messages going on in this this portion of the episode, definitely. Yeah, and then I think that there's a, like uh, in terms of storytelling, in terms of development, there's a lot of goodwill here. Um, but then we have eight minutes to go in the episode at this point because I made it a point to note it because I feel like the first half of this episode is like built on suspense and mystery, and it's like that garden hose that's kinked up. And then at this point, it just lets loose and just becomes like I don't know this deluge of like everything after this, but this is probably the most cutting and most interesting part of the episode to me. And then, you know, after she, you know, says this stuff, um, you know, this becomes then a discussion between Robert and Barbara again about like what's going on. And then we literally have, um, Maggie come out, uh, Maggie, who is, is admitted that, since she has absorbed the vibes and, and, and thoughts and feelings of Maggie and real, she, she lays bare her. And I've used that phrase already, but she, you know, uh, she just gives the game up and it becomes this big, super dialogue heavy next few minutes that, um, I feel like this is a lot of telling and not showing. And I don't know how I feel about this. And that's kind of what we got out of the last episode, too, um, where we need to just wrap it up, explain everything. And, uh, yeah, that's our that's the end of our episode. And it's like, OK, but th- this has we have more confirmation because, you know, Robert seemed to be the most grounded and he was right the entire time. This creature was sent here for a reason. It was it was there to uh basically take over so that's what we're yeah. like that's the information we're getting now from this creature saying yes i'm a, like a sentient being or whatever like a I'm drone a, a biological pacification drone which is i'm going to put that on my um applications in the future for job titles like you know i'm a biological pacification drone aka customer service you know what i i, I think we're in that wave of the future where like uh everything's getting uh uh, retitled like waste <laughs> management. <laughs> yeah, it's like I worked. I worked uh, ten plus years in retail. I'm a biological pacification drone. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a waste disposable. Waste disposable. You know what that means? Like I put up people's shit. That's what. That's what that meant. Uh, no, but she goes into this big thing about like uh, her mission was that she was here to conquer and overtake and. But she even admits that, like, as she was trying to find the weakness and the, the the way in, was the the shared grief and just the utter devastation between 
uh, Barbara and Robert. And it's like it, that to me cuts really deep. It just feels like it is dulled somewhat because it just, the, the, the dialogue doesn't stop in the sequence. And I'm not, I'm, nothing against, nothing against the, the, the actress here, uh, 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 Tavi, uh, Jevonson. I feel like her ability to like monologue and keep a straight face and deliver this with dr- like dramatic, like intent, sign her up for a Star Trek series right now because she walked through all the, the jargon with ease. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a, it's a, it's a pretty interesting scene and I I'm glad that she was able to deliver it in the, the straight face that she was. Cause we got like the emotion in earlier in the episode, we got this like, um, almost like concerned look in her face when she was trying to convince them of who she was and you know, what her, that, you know, that, that she was actually their daughter and everything. But now it's like, you know, I forget it. I'm going to tell them exactly what's going on because, you know, it's what they already are like r- dancing around this entire time. Robert's not giving up uh, his view of this. It's like, let me take the different approach. That was my, my understanding of it. It's like, all right, the, uh, we tried this one little dance and now we're going to try this other thing and see if that works. And, um, you know, she unveils like this entire thing. Like it's from a, it, it is able to travel through different dimensions and everything too. And, um, it's, it's trying to, uh, what was it? What was its overall goal again? Was it to, uh, um, no, it was for conquer. She was like, she was, she kept saying these phrases. She's like, it was to conquer, but that's not quite right. And I love that. Like, uh, uh, Christopher, Boy, like his character, Robert's like, the word con is in there. It's conquering. And it's like, and she's like, but I turned my directive off because like, she was like this thing, this thing called love, you know, is, is taught me that this is, I need something more than this. And then you could tell that like Barbara is just eating this up. And then Robert's like, I don't know. This is kind of bullshit. Uh, this entire time. But he's like, literally he, he says to him, he's like, it just told us what it's going to do. It's going to expose our weakness and take advantage of us. And Barbara's like, and <laughs> it just like takes the thick's hand and walks downstairs as it becomes like this glowy, you know, I don't know, the ball of light. And then Robert runs downstairs to try to stop this from happening because as much as he's an asshole and kind of like in, in a denial, um, I still get the vibe that he cares about his wife. It's just that their relationship is broken and blown apart because of the loss of their daughter and the, the way they both approached her as much as he is like, you know, kind of been that jerk the entire episode. I, I still believe that he loves her, you know, and he, and he thinks it's something we're saving. Um, but that's not exactly how it turns out. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he takes this last ditch effort to try to save the situation and he, he runs down the steps and he has that broken broomstick and he plunges it into the, the being. And it does this like weird force push thing to him and, uh, pushes him back like five feet. Uh, and it turns around and looks at him and it transforms back into Maggie and says to him, like, you know, I, you can't, you can't do anything really at this point. Like 
it's, it's using it's going to use love she she says uh, to him directly like and she's like i you know what i'm not your daughter but i know her and i know that she loved you even until the end and that's what broke him like it it, it shifted its position just enough to be like you know what you're right that's the game and 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 you know she did love you um and then when he even says to barbara it's like this is how they do it this is how they win and she just says to him, she's like, and they win. It's like, she's been on board with this from the moment the water bear showed up in the basement. <laughs> like, <laughs> but the way that she's like, so matter of fact of like, there's something missing in me and I see what I want to see in front of me. I'm on board. I'm team water bear the entire time. But this is what takes it to break him of when she reaches out to him and hugs him and says, and I know she loved you. And he he can't fight anymore, and that's important. Yeah, and it's especially when he says a moment before that he says they're using love against you know against them. Uh, love is our weakness. It's like that is kind of a a, a a hell of a thing to unpack because I think that at our root, um, humans are super emotional beings and. Love is kind of like the connective t- tissue that keeps us alive. You know, empathy and love, and the the ability to try to, you know, use both to keep us alive. And it knew, it knew that that was going to be its angle, yeah. and he fell right for it. Like when he got that hug from her, is when he he broke down. And it's like, man, it got you too, man. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then what happens is, and I, and I think it's important to point out. So they go to leave the house, they're all holding hands. Um, and then this, I mean, we're talking like we're running right into the last like 30 seconds of the episode, but as they're walking out of the house, they, they assume a position that's very similar to the portrait we saw earlier where Maggie was looking straight ahead with like this, like just checked out look on her face. What we see her do, and I think this is very important, is that when she's making eye contact with Robert or Barbara, she's smiling. But when she looks straight ahead, it is dead as can be, and she's leading them out into the street. And the end of the episode is so fast that if you're not paying attention, you may miss it. You see all these different families on the street walking hand in hand with something um, and it, you get, it's implied that it's a loved one they lost and they're all walking towards whatever's going on. And you realize in that moment that this pacification drone did exactly what it was intending to do. It's just that the two characters, the two people that we got to know over the course of this 30 minutes, they don't care anymore. And it's mission accomplished. And it's, it, it's like, it's, it's a hammer of an ending, but it's one of those ones that unless you're looking at it, you don't see it. Right, yeah. the The last uh, twenty to thirty seconds is a big tell for the rest of like what we've watched, and makes you understand it didn't matter how much you fought it or how much you felt like you probably had the the upper hand. This thing's gonna adapt every time, and it's gonna get you whether you like it or not. And I, I just think that it's a really dark ending. It kind of made me feel like to serve man almost like it took that trust that you get, it gained from you and then used it right against you. Yeah, no, I agree. So, um, 
I will say that the first time I watched this, I just, it, the whole like hurry up and wait of the episode kind of pissed me off. Like, at the, cause especially after the sudden and violent explanation of the last episode, this one doesn't feel dissimilar from that with the information drop. And I feel like it could have been handled better, but I feel like there's an emotional resonance here that is better. Um, I'm still, I still don't know if I'm a fan of the, the sudden eight minutes of dialogue just to get us to the end. I think, and I, we talked about this earlier. Um, and I know I'm not normally a fan of this. This was 38 minutes. Had you went 45 or 50, 51, whatever, like I think meet in the middle is like 51 minutes of the first episode of the season. I think you could have crossed this line more convincingly and and taken us along than what we got here. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And it just it sometimes I, I like this episode and the last episode, it just feels like they need to get it done. They need to hurry it up. And like, there's some weird deadline to make the episode work. And when I think if a, another writer had come in and fluffed it up a little bit, we probably could have had a more complete story, something that felt more satisfying at least. Yeah. I, so I think from, I think, I, I think I told you before we started recording, I was like on paper, this works really well. Um, and there's a lot here. I like about it. It's just, Man, this just, I just feel like, um, this is one that, uh, like I even said earlier when, in, in, in this episode here of our talking about it, had this been an old school, like 25 minute episode of the twilight zone and it would just been the bottle episode of them in the bathroom discussing what was going to happen with the ambiguousness. I think that would have been interesting. If you're not going to go 24 minutes, then give me like 48, 50, um, I just, I feel like this one kind of like, it's one of those weird instances where shorter isn't, well, sorry, middling isn't always better. And I wish, I wish this thing would have delivered a little bit more on what the ending's trying to do, but the ending image is very, is very upsetting. Yeah. And that's kind of what saved the episode for me. I, I don't want to say that I hated the episode, but I just kind of felt, I don't know, uh, not so, and enthusiastic about watching it. Uh, but yeah, that last like 30 seconds, it's like, it, it gives you that darker, uh, ending that I think needed to happen for this episode to kind of save it. I didn't want it to be a hunky dory thing. So no, and it definitely didn't feel like that at the end. No. And I just want to, I just want to, I wrote my last note here was uh, so many families hanging out with water bears. Like, just like, cause you know, they all look the same way before they took like, before like this is this is the worst version of starman that we just watched here right like this is the dark version of starman um where it's like i'm showing up i am now jeff bridges you know i'm what i'm gonna drive to the grand canyon or whatever it was like this is this is the darker version of that but just to know that every family member holding hands of something it was like this thing was probably actively actively eating your your workbench before it realized that you lost a kid or a loved one like, sorry, kids are loved ones. You know what I mean? You know, whatever. Um, what, what if one of the, what if one of the families was like a household pet where you just see like two people walking along, holding like a gerbil between the two of them. What if that would have been part of the ending you saw in the distance? That would have been funny to me. It'd have been amazing. Yeah, that, that, that would have definitely given more layers to the possibility of what these damn things are capable of doing. Like, oh, they're happy to see the hermit crab come back. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it, yeah. it, I, I, but I, at the same point, the the thing I would like to add is that I'm glad that they didn't give too much information as well. Like there, there's a, a fine line that sometimes that like episodes will cross where it's like you give too much information or not enough and you lose the viewer or you don't really carry along um, the excitement that you really are trying to achieve. And I'm glad that they didn't tell you like, yeah, we're going to eat them or <laughs> we're going to turn them into slaves, you know, yeah. like they, they will take down the mighty force for the wood that we seek. You know, like take us to your home depots, please. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I don't know, but you know, it, like you're right. There, there was enough there that you, and honestly, you didn't even know if like their intent was good intention. It, it, like, and I think that's where the twilight zone flourishes best is where it's like, it just leaves you with enough to consider like the landing point and the emotional portion of it. So again, do I feel like this is a complete episode? I don't think so. Um, do I think it deserved another pass and maybe some additional like parts added? Yes. Um, this is not the worst, you know, 38 minutes of an anthology series based on the Twilight Zone that you and I have seen. It just, it bums me out in the sense that there was a lot here. You could have given us just a little bit more. And I think this thing would have rocketed to the top of my, uh, my list for the season. Yeah. And like you said, like on paper, like there's a lot here that we could dig. I mean, Christopher Maloney, we got an alien creature. We got the infiltration of a family and uh, it taking, you know, uh, hold of the emotions that the, it, it can like, uh, for, you know, get more into um, the the possibility of, uh, uh, I don't know, like taking them over, like. That, that those are all great things, and but you know when you see the final product, you kind of make make a head nod like to the side, and like, huh? That's how they that's how they finished it. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I feel like. I feel like the first part of this was a lot of hurry up and wait, and not a bad way, but then it just it just ran to the end, you know, and it was like, all right, this is where we're at now. So okay, you know. And then again, it's not bad. It's just, you know, sometimes, sometimes things overstay their welcome and I get it, you know, but at the same time, I just, yeah, I don't know. This is, this is what I'll think about. It's just, it, it it's the whole, like it was, it was three quarters of the way there. And sometimes for me, like those are the ones that I'll get mo the most heartbroken about because it's like, you had a lot here. Christopher Maloney's amazing. Um, Jenna Elfman's amazing. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say her name correctly. Tavi uh, Gevinson is really, really good, especially in the second half of this. Um, it's just, they're just missing something, which is also kind of ironic considering that like they're, they're looking at like their daughter that's not quite there. So there's something missing. So I don't know if that's meta, but that kind of feels that way. Yeah, it, yeah, it was an episode. Um, it was an again. episode. Yes. It was an episode. I, I liked, I liked the aspects of it. Um, it definitely made me want more, but yeah, it was something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's my, I'm going to put, it was something stamp on it. It, <laughs> it was, it was a thing from another world. Uh, so yeah. Uh, any other, any other thoughts here? I have a little bit of trivia about the episode before we get to the twist. 
Uh, no, that's pretty much it for me on okay. uh, the episode. And okay, so we already talked about the um, you know the water bear stuff. So uh, so there's actually three um, original Twilight Zone uh, references in this episode. Uh, the the moving boxes say Dingle moving on it, and it has a guy carrying it, like I think a, a vacuum cleaner or a piano. That's a reference to Mister Dingle the Strong. That's a Burgess Meredith episode from season three, I think. Um, and then also whenever, uh, there's a bit, there's a brief shot of Maggie's, um, like, uh, vanity or whatever it is. You see like a weird alien with like, it looks like a little like puffy, uh, space guy with like uh, pearls all over him. That is the space suit of one of the characters from the invaders. That is one of the, like, it looks like one of the original miniatures they used in the invaders from season two, uh, of the original twilight zone, which is a great callback. Um, and also it's a great callback because the invaders is just a, an episode in one location with one actress with Agnes Moorhead. So I feel like that also is kind of pointing towards being more of a bottle episode. Um, also I take that back. There's, um, there's four references. The, the third one is the real estate company, which I did not pick up on until I read later. It was named David Morton real estate. That's the name of the act of the character from a world of difference, which I know you watched. It was the guy who, uh, um, I want to say, uh, he was the one that thought he was the actor that realized that he was in the movie that wasn't the, you saw the episode where the guy was acting and realized that like, you know, he thought he was somebody else, but he was in a film the entire time. It wasn't like a second season episode. Yeah. I remember uh, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was his name. And then also whenever Maggie's box stuff is opened, there's a clown doll in there. You probably saw it. It's very right in front of your face. Um, that doll is dressed in the same outfit as the clown character from the season three episode of the original series, five characters in search of an exit, which is an amazing bottle episode. Um, it's really good. It's one of my favorites of the series so far. So yeah, there's your twilight zone connections done. Well, the first season of the Jordan Peele stuff felt like they were really like kind of hitting you in the face with things. This feels like they're peppered in pretty well for what they are. And I, I appreciate if you know it, you know it. If not, it's not like you're not like losing anything by just seeing it. You know, I think there's a difference there. Yeah, I, I like these little uh, Easter eggs that they put in here. It's it's fun. And I think it's a lot more engaging for the people that know the original product. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I will say that. Is this like the third reference that they've done to Mr. Dingle, the strong <laughs> in this season? Probably. I mean, like I know the first season they, uh, they, they leaned hard into the Canimates, which is the name of the alien race from, um, uh, to serve man. There are so many Canimate references. They kept showing, um, they kept showing like the, the wing Walker face from terror at 20,000 feet from season four, sorry, season five of the original series. I think they've done a little better about sprinkling it all in, but yeah, sometimes they, they pick one of this hammer at home. Yeah. I, I'm just like, it's cool to have them, but let's get some other references in here too. Like it would be sweet if we had stuff from season four sprinkled in. Cause you know, we just covered it. <laughs> just, just a large image of Dennis hoppers and Nazi in the background. That's all. We, that's all we want. Right. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I mean, no, no, not I, at I'll, all. I'll take any season four references no. at this point. What, what it if, makes me feel what like if it was like one of her posters was, was just, uh, was just Burt Reynolds from the bard in the background. But like, ah, I don't know about that. I don't know. Like, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll take anything from season four. I don't know why it's so shunned. I mean, that, there were some pretty bad episodes within that season, but man, people need to watch that damn season. Well, there were some gems in so that season. That's Seriously. funny you say that. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna talk about the, what the I have the premise for the next episode. Um, I feel like I don't know if it's gonna be a callback to a season four episode, but so far it feels thematically. So we'll we'll just say that. So yeah. Um, I like this episode. It could have been better. I wish it was, you know, um, nothing against the actors. I hope all of them come back uh, for something else. Cause I, especially I want more Maloney. Elf, Jen Elfman's great. This young actress. Um, if this isn't good resume material, I don't know what is cause she is convincing as all get out in this. Uh, and again, she's Scarlett Johansson jr. So just keep, you know, she could be um, black widow as well. Just throwing it out there. Um, but I liked, I liked all the performances, just the script felt a little, a little, um, ham fisted in the last eight minutes. Yeah, it, it's, it's a bummer that it ended up that way, but I, as much as I, I, I feel like people probably thought I was shitting on this episode. It was, it was a good episode, but I feel that through what we've seen through this season, there are so many stellar episodes that have to outshine it a little bit. So I guess I'm a little jaded by that. That's fair. So, yeah, I mean, considering we got three to go and the first five were all kind of like like solid. Uh, and then we had two in the row that like, well, whatever. We'll, we'll talk about the end of the season when we get there, but we're just racing through this. So, yeah, I think that that will do it um, for our discussion about a human face. Um, the, the sequel will be called a human face off. You know, I have Nick Cage in it. That's not true. Um, but before we actually uh, wrap it up uh, and talk about the next episode, uh, we got to talk about that twist. So I have a split decision here. This is something I didn't think I'd have on these shorter episodes. Uh, that the invasion would work, I'll give it a two. That they would specifically give away the game the entire time, I'll give it a three. Like, I, I was not expecting for the board to kind of tilt where it was like Christian Maloney was like, this is what they're doing. And it's like, that's exactly what they did. I'll give, I'll give it that. I'll give it a three and a two. It wasn't mind blowing, but upon the rewatch, a lot more locked into place where, you know, you mentioned specifically whenever the Maggie monster was sitting there pulling the cassette tape and kind of listening that she was designated to absorb the thing that would get her entry. I didn't think about that the first time through. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll go with the one uh, twist that you're talking about. Uh, it, <laughs> I'm going to give it a four that it gave the entire plan and they just were just like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Uh, what, what are you selling insurance to? Like, yeah. We'll get some of that as well. Like, <laughs> but can, can we get the damage waiver for our rental vehicle? Yeah. Yeah. That's not a scam. It's fine. It's fine. Let's do that. It's fine. You know, <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to give that a, <laughs> and like, it's like, all right, cool. you like, you ever hear about pet rocks? We got those too. Like, it was, <laughs> it's like, like these, these guys are that, or at least Barbara was that gullible. It's like love had, uh, put this, these rose colored uh, glasses on her and she couldn't see anything else. Like it was just the love of uh, Maggie and it didn't matter what she told her. Like, cool. I was on board anyway. Uh, she didn't have to tell me. These oils else. are essential. <laughs> I will buy them. It's fine. You know, 
<laughs> Sorry. Please, please go ahead. No, so yeah, I'm gonna give that a four because I that just didn't that just seems so stupid to me, but they, <laughs> it worked, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, right. So, all right, so let's go do it for our discussion about a human face. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are on the episode and um, the, the, your thoughts about the current uh, run of the Jordan Peele produced uh, Twilight Zone. I also want to mention as of this recording, which is um, this will be released August 14th. I believe this coming Sunday, which I'm going to look at the calendar here, uh, would be the 16th. The first episode of uh, the Jordan Peele produced um, uh, Lovecraft Country is going to be on HBO. And I am looking forward to that. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, bring me more weird. Bring me more horror. Bring me more social commentary. I, w- I want to watch that and devour it and talk to everybody. So please check that out too. Uh, I don't think we're covering it for the show here, but it's just, you know, it it's cool stuff. Check out cool stuff. Uh, you, you guys can like, so find us on Facebook, f- face, Facebook, Fishbook. You can find us on Facebook. Um, and also you can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Wherever you find your uh, podcast, please rate and review us. I feel like uh, every other month, um, like these big companies change how they distribute uh, podcasts. However you find us, rate and review us. That'd be great. And also provide us feedback. If we get facts wrong, if uh, you believe that I slandered water bears incorrectly, let me know. Uh, and then we'll course correct, and I will I will make an open apology if I uh, misrepresented water bears in this episode. Yeah, don't do that, Paul. Don't don't speak for that community. Um, the water I, bear community. <laughs> the water bear community. Hey, listen, listen. For all Aqua Earth signs out there, sir, you got to run. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to piggyback off of what uh, Paul was saying, um, we appreciate all of the feedback that you guys give us. I want more of it. I want to hear your voices on what you have been digging about this season. And if you have not watched it, I want to hear why you have not watched it because you are too late to the game now because this season has had some amazing episodes, very, you know, star worthy episodes that honestly, if we talk about twilight zone, if people have discussions about twilight zone, they belong in the discussion. I think Rod Serling would be, he would be excited to be watching these episodes. And I think Jordan Peele is doing a hell of a job. And if you are opposed to watching them, I need to know why, man, because it just doesn't make any sense that you have been waiting this long to watch. Well, and I know we just talked about the passive Carol, Carolyn, um, uh, Carol, yeah, Carolyn Serling. Uh, and she still is a producer on this because she was around while these episodes were actually in production. I don't think she would have given her blessing to something that wasn't in his, like, you know, what he would have approved of. This was not a cash grab. This was, I mean, yeah, it's ultimately out there to make money and get people to watch CBS All Access, but I don't think she would have been on board with something if she didn't believe that there was the right intent behind it. I think she was a good steward of, like, Rod's legacy. So, yeah, if, uh, I think he would have been, I, I think even with like the more leanings into a lot of the social commentary and the emotional commentary, like my gosh, I think he would have been excited to see what was coming next. And I think we are too. So this, this has been a lot of fun and we have three to go. So next episode, this is my teasing about miniature. So Terry, you'll, you'll appreciate it. It's called a small town. Here's the teaser. A handyman uncovers a magical skill model imbuing him with the power to help his town. 
Someone guess as he messes around with the small town, his actual town does stuff. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a little DNA there from one of our favorite episodes of season four. That sounds interesting enough. And uh, I see that Damon Wayans is in it. So I'm excited to see how he does in this episode. Yeah. So that's going to do it for us this week. Have a great week. Have a safe week. Um, don't trust water bears. I guess that's <laughs> I guess that's the thing to take away from this. And, um, you know, if Christian Maloney comes at, like chasing after you with the stick, um, be thankful because I think there's worse ways to go. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Uh, and don't trust those water bears. Definitely not.